This podcast was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire. For more information on who we are and what we do, visit lifelanks.org. Good morning, everybody. How's everyone doing? Why don't, why don't you just turn to someone next to you and just say to them, you are looking really good this morning. Why don't you just do that? Just encourage someone. And then, and then turn to someone else and say to them, you should have tried a bit harder. I'm just going to be honest with you, really. You should have. No, I'm teasing. Be kind. Be kind. Any passionate people out in this house today? It's good. Good, 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 good. Well, uh, it's great to be amongst friends and family. It really, really is. It was the author Mark Twain who once said that the two most important days, the two most important dates in your life are the day that you were born and the day that you discover why. The day you discover why. And this morning as we continue in this great series that you're doing, uh, Jesus First Revisited, we're going to explore the answer to that question. Why were you born? Why are you here? What is the purpose of your life? What is this all about? Um, I, I've been following Jesus pretty much for most of my life, and I we had the privilege of staying with Jeff and Trish last night. We were reflecting as we were arriving by car here today that basically we, we, we love young people. I've been working with young people now for over 36 years, and there's a joke in my church that really I'm just a youth leader faking it as a pastor of a church, and there's probably, there's probably some truth in that. I think that's probably true. Um, and over the years, um, as well as being a volunteer leader, I, I worked for a, a national youth organization and, and always grappling with the challenges of being a young person who's following Jesus because following Jesus is the best decision you can ever make. But it isn't easy. It isn't easy. There is a cost to following Christ. And I remember years ago, a friend of mine, uh, Phil, he and I were chatting about this and just thinking about, you know, is there a way that we could make this following Jesus easier? And he said, well, he said, I've got an idea, he said. And he said, you know, you know when we baptize people, not just young people, but adults as well. And, and his church was like our church. We, we, we do the full immersion thing. I know you do that here. There's sprinkling and dinking and dunking and plunking. And we're a dunker and plunker, like right under. And, uh, and so he said, um, so I've got this idea that, like, you know, when you get the person and they're in the baptismal waters, and then you say this thing on confession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and then you put them under. He said, what if you just hold them under? <laughs> just keep holding them. Just keep holding. I mean, their arms will be doing this and everything like that. And eventually, they're just going to see Jesus straight away. They'll just be with him. They'll go into the waters of baptism, and the next thing, they will see Jesus. And all the tough stuff in between, they, like, it'd be amazing for them. So I, I said, Phil, there are two issues with this. You may spot more than two. I spotted two. I said, the first is, I, I, I think that is murder. There's a commandment against that, and like no church wants that in the local newspaper. You know, you know, person is baptized and goes to be with Jesus. I don't think that's it. But I said, but I think more than that, like if the moment we choose to follow Jesus and submit our lives to him, if, if Jesus wanted us to be with him immediately, then he would take us. 
And the fact that we are not yet with him in new creation tells us that there is something that he has for us to do. To do. There's something that we, he has for us to do. And it's the big question of all of our lives, isn't it? God, what is your will for my life? What do you want me to do? I remember 20 years ago, I was on a retreat by myself, three days in a monastery. I'm not a fan of labels, but like you, you could pigeon me in the Pentecostal charismatic, not a big fan of the labels. But what I'm not used to is three-day silent retreat in a monastery. It was a new experience for me. And on the third day, I was praying through the Lord's Prayer. And I, I got to that bit where in that most profound and beautiful of prayers, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I applied it to my life. I said, Lord, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. And as I started to chew that over, I, I, I then asked that simple question, God, then what is your will for my life? And in a very rare moment, I, I got this divine download where I felt literally the Holy Spirit kind of put these five phrases into my head, into my heart, into my soul. And I've lived with them ever since. And, and, and they're all in order of priority. And, and it was simply this. Number one, to be a faithful follower of Jesus. Secondly, to be a loving husband. That I needed to love my wife as Christ loved the church. This sacrificial love. To be, thirdly, a present father. Didn't want my kids to grow up and think that I hadn't been around. That they knew that I was present. You know, not quality time, quantity time with my kids. Uh, number four, a loyal friend. That I would have friends who knew I was with them and for them and in their corner. And then lastly, a servant leader to be a servant leader. Now, the interesting thing about all of those phrases as I've reflected over the years and held them before me is really none of them in any sense are about achieving anything. Like God didn't say, I want you to lead a church or lead urban saints or be an IT guy. And I've done all of those things and involved in all of those things. Be a great youth leader. It wasn't any of those things. It strikes me that all of those Words and those phrases are about relationships. They're all about relationships. That, that God was basically saying, look, my primary will and purpose for you is a relational purpose. That you are to live and breathe and exist in relationships. Now, on one level, this shouldn't surprise us, friends. Because there are many examples of this. I want to look at one story that you will know very well. And we're not going to look at the story. We're going to look at what happened before the story. This is Luke chapter 10. Verses 25 to 30. You'll know this well. It says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him a question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul, all of your strength and all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify his actions and so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan, but we're not looking at that story today. It's that first part I want us to think about. Now, 
Just to be clear, when when the religious expert asks Jesus this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's not asking, how do I go to heaven when I die? That's not the question. In in Hebrew thinking, in, in, in rabbinical thinking, this question was essentially saying, what do I do in order to immerse myself and flow with the beautiful, abundant life of God, both now and forever? Like, how do I step into the life of God that I was created with? Because essentially, if we understand, eternal life starts now. It's not something to look forward to. It happens now. I'm believing that by God's Spirit, eternal life is flowing through me now. How, how How do I flow with that? And as Jesus often does, he, he answers the question with a question. Because he knows that this guy is an expert in religious law, and he also knows the guy's trying to trap him, trying to see if Jesus is about to say something heretical. And so he says, okay, well, what do you think? What do you think the answer is? And the guy gives a great answer. He gives the right answer. And he says these words, and he's quoting from two Old Testament passages, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and Leviticus 19, 18. He blends them together, as we see Jesus does in other stories, when Jesus is asked this question and answers more directly. And we've heard it read, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, and all of your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. The guy replies, and Jesus goes, you've got it. Correct Correctamundo. That is it. Great answer. But when you think about it, it's a profound answer. It's an incredible answer. We call this the great commandment in in our Christian world. That that Jesus is saying, and this guy kind of knows it, and yet the sadness is he doesn't know it. He knows it here, but he doesn't know it here. There's a big difference. In the Old Testament, there is a word, Hebrew word, yada, and it's often translated to see, to know, to perceive. And it doesn't mean to know something intellectually, it means to know something experientially. Like, you know, like I know that Belgian chocolate Hagen Dars ice cream is the best chocolate on the planet. Now, I know some of you say, no, 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 it's cookies and cream, Ben and Jerry's. It's okay for you to be wrong. Now, I, because I, I know this because I have yarded it. I know it. And Jesus this morning, friends, isn't interested in how much you know something. He wants you to know it. Know it in the deepest part of your soul. To know something. So this guy knows it intellectually, but he doesn't know it experientially. That Jesus is essentially saying the way to this life is the way of love. The way to life is the way of love. That Jesus is saying, and these these Old Testament ancient scriptures are saying, you will only ever fully flourish in the life that God created you for if you are flourishing in relationships. And you can only flourish in relationships if you make the daily difficult choice to love. To love. Now again, in the, in the New Testament, there are four. The New Testament is written in Greek, Old Testament Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek. And there are four different Greek words that are used for love. Lots of different choices there they could have used. But the word that is used here is agape. 
And this word agape is a stunning word. It should leave you breathless. It, is, it speaks about a sacrificial, servant-hearted, costly, other-centered love. This is a love that gives and expects nothing back. A love that joyously is generous and kind and good. And, and, and what Jesus is saying here is, wow, if, if we could embrace an agape love towards God, others, and ourselves, well, that would just revolutionize everything. Everything. It would go from strength to strength. And, and Jesus says that this divine eternal flourishing is primarily directed into these three relationships that I alluded to. And I I would say that the three relational priorities of heaven, I would put it this way, that this, this great commandment is all about loving God completely, loving other people compassionately, and then loving ourselves correctly. Loving God completely, loving ourselves, loving others compassionately, and loving ourselves correctly. But what does that look like? What does that mean? How do you know if you love others, love God, love yourself that way? Um, some of you might have read years and years of book. Uh, 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 a guy called Gary Chapman wrote a book called The Languages of Love, The Five Languages of Love. And he talked about these five languages. Okay, just pause for a second and see if this resonates with you. Which of these is your preferred love language? And by that, he basically means when people do this for you, you feel loved. Okay, you feel loved. And so quality time. Some people feel loved if you spend a lot of time with them. Acts of service, receiving gifts, physical touch, words of affirmation. Now, you probably enjoy a bit of all of those, but there might be something you lean into. You know, earlier, um, Bryony said to me that she had, she had checked my bio, and in my bio it says that I love meaty pizzas. That is true. <laughs> I do love them. I do love them. I wish in that divine download 20 years ago that the Holy Spirit was said, number six, love pizzas. But I do love a pizza. And so she said to me, today after we've had service and we prayed, we're going to go out for pizza. And I want, I want you to know, when she said that, I felt loved. <laughs> I felt loved. I have the love language of meaty pizzas. God has a love language. And the love language of God is obedience. How do you know if you love God completely? It's it's through living a life of obedience. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. If you love me. How do you know that you love God completely? Because you are willing to do whatever Jesus asks you to do. And you are willing to say no to whatever Jesus asks you to say no to. And you do that not because Jesus is trying to put a lid on your life and spoil your fun. You do it because you know that Jesus loves you with a love that you can't even get your head around. And everything he asks you to do and everything he asks you to avoid is motivated by his love for you that he wants to see you whole and well and flourishing. And so out of that place of, Jesus, you love me so much, tell me what to do so I can thrive, then you say yes. I've got two boys who are 30 and 27, but I remember being on a, a family holiday when they were much, much younger. And we were staying in a, in a cottage in Cornwall. It was very cold. And, uh, and so I thought, great, it had an open fire. It's fantastic. So I've got this open fire going. It took me a while. I was never a scout. So it took me a while. 
you know, petrol and things like that. Got there in the end. It was roaring. It was fantastic. And, uh, and I, I stepped back from my work. I was feeling very proud. And as I did so, my, my son Dan came in. He was probably, I don't know, three, four. He was really, really young. He could kind of walk. And he saw it from a distance. He saw the fire with the pretty flames. And I could see what was in his eyes. And so suddenly he's like, <gasps> I must play. Literally. A bit like Yoda that was, wasn't it? That was a bit weird. And... Um, and, and I could see what he was, he was literally, he was going to dive in because he, for him, it was pretty. For me, it was crispy. Like, you know, and so he's doing this. And so what do I do? I stand in his way. And, and, and now literally he's crying and he's slapping and I'm doing whatever I can because he thinks I'm trying to spoil his fun. But the truth is I'm trying to save his life. Is anyone hearing me today? God loves you and he wants you to have life. And when he invites us to obey him and follow his way of life, it's not because he's trying to spoil our fun. He wants us to have life. How do you know that you love God completely? It's, it's when you wake up every morning and say, Jesus, I want to do what you want to do. Your will. Your will. Obedience. How do we know that we love others compassionately? See, the thing is, if you love God so completely, and you do what he wants to do, what you find out is that what God is doing is he's loving people. And he's caring for people, and he's reaching out for people, and he's restoring creation, and he's, he's putting the wrong things right in the world. And so what happens is when you start to feel the heartbeat of God for the world, which as he has compassion for you, so he has compassion for everyone, and the measure and the outworking of compassion is to serve is to do something about it. This is not, there's something different about compassion. Again, this, this original Hebrew word, um, Greek word for compassion that we see so often in the Scriptures, Jesus has compassion for them. It's, it's a word that literally speaks about kind of feeling it in your guts. Feeling it in your guts. You know, when in, in the language of the time, if someone heard a, a sad story, they would literally say in the original language, you are cutting my intestines. Sounds grim, but the point is like, wow, I'm seeing the struggle that you're going through. And it's hitting me in the deepest part of my being. And now I must do something about this. It's not just sadness. It's not just sympathy. It's this deep empathy. I feel and out of that, I must do something. How do you know that you love people compassionately? Because then you serve them. It moves you. Not just inside. It moves you physically. In 1 John 3, 17 to 19, Jesus' disciple, he wrote these words. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, like how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, not, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth so we'll be confident when we stand before God. Like in John Chapter 13, verses 34 to 35, in, in that upper room, this, this final intimate night where Jesus is with his disciples. And after he's washed their feet and spoken about service, he makes this incredible statement. He, he says, by the way you love one another, agape love, by the way you love, the whole world will know that you are my disciples. That's why, friends, the primary strategy of the enemy is to get Christians mad at each other. 
to divide us. Because if our love and unity together demonstrates that we belong to him, then of course the enemy is going to do whatever he can to divide us and disrupt us because, because he doesn't want the world to see this kind of love. Throughout the rest of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul particularly, he, he talks about these one another's, how we should. How does this love play out in action? In, in Romans 12.10, he talks about honoring one another. This word literally means to put a value on someone, recognizing that every single person on planet Earth is made in the image of God. There is something sacred about every life, and so we honor them. Romans 15, 7 talks about accepting one another, greeting people with a holy kiss, embracing them. You don't have to agree with everything that everyone's doing to love them and welcome them. Jesus was called the friend of sinners by the religious types and he wore it as a badge of honor even though they meant it as an insult. He would feast with tax collectors and prostitutes because he accepted them into his life. Galatians 5.13, serve one another. Galatians 6.2, support one another. Carry each other's burdens, Paul says. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another. Hebrews 10.24, inspire one another. James 5.16, confess your failures to one another. And then the hardest thing of all, Colossians 3.13, forgive one another. Make that tough, painful choice to let it go. Let it go. And Jesus makes it clear, if you go to read the story of the Good Samaritan, that these behaviors, this way of love and compassion outworking towards other people is towards everyone, including your enemy. That's the upside down thing of the kingdom. You, you, you don't just do this with the people you like. And you don't just do this with the people who like you. You do it with those that you might class your enemy. Jesus elsewhere says, like Luke 6, 27, like, bless your enemies, pray for your enemies, do good to them. Like, when you have compassion for people who have hurt you, I'm not excusing what they've done. I'm not saying that there isn't place for justice and restitution and repentance. I'm not saying those. Those things are necessary. Forgiveness and, and reconciliation are two different things. One person to forgive, me, two people to reconcile. And sometimes that's not right to do for all manner of reasons. But when you feel compassion for someone who has hurt you, like the good Samaritan, the, the Samaritan who was despised by the Jews, the Samaritan looks at this Jewish broken, beat-up thief on the Jericho Road and feels compassion. When you feel compassion for someone who's hurt you, you know that the Spirit of Jesus is at work in you. The Spirit of Jesus is at work in you. I remember years ago uh, reading this book on mentoring, and there was, a, there was a chapter about the one and others. And the authors, Robert Stanley and uh, Robert Clinton and Paul Stanley, they said this. This was a quote from a, from a respected psychologist. And the psychologist said this, I am thoroughly convinced that if Christians practice the one and others to any degree at all, 90% of my Christian clients wouldn't need me, and all the others, Christian or non-Christian, would flock to the churches where it's happening. Think about this. Like, who would not want to be 
part of a community of love and welcome and acceptance and warmth and kindness and compassion and confession and grace and encouragement. Like the world is crying out for that. You are crying out for it. So be it. Be it. Be what you're looking for with the help of the Holy Spirit. How do you know that you love God completely through a life of obedience? How do you know that you love others compassionately through a life of service? Tricky one. How do you know that you love yourself correctly through a life of humility? Humility. Humility is not thinking you're better or worse than anyone else. Humility is agreeing with God about what he says about you. That's humility. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 to 10, God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. God loves you. And the thing is, again, this is, we, yeah, 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 he loves me. No, 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 he doesn't love you. He loves you. In the deepest part of your being, you, like may you yarder it. May you get it in the deepest part of your being. And this is written by John. Remember John? John writes 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. But he also writes the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, John refers to himself multiple times as the disciple who Jesus loved. Now, if I was one of the other disciples, I'd be a bit ticked about that. No wonder he wrote it after they'd all been martyred. They're all dead, I can write this now. He liked them, but he really, really loved me. (laughs) But then what I realized was this, that what John was saying was not about comparison. He was simply saying this, you need to understand that the most important thing about me is that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus, that's who I am. I am the beloved. I am the beloved. I am loved. You look in the mirror and and all the voices in your head and what other people have said over you. And and you can look in the mirror and say, Jesus loves you in the mirror. He loves you. And he proved it because he made you and he knows you and he loves you. And he stepped into human history for you and he lived for you and he died on the cross for you and he rose again for you so you could be forgiven. And then he went into heaven and he sent the spirit for you. And Romans 8 says that he's praying for you every day by name. He's nudging the Father and saying, God, help Jeff today. Help Pete today. Help Bryony today. Be with them. And he's promised to come back and he's going to restore you so you'll be healed and well and you'll live with him forever. Such is the power of this love. Such is the power of this love. You don't need to be smug and satisfied or about who you are or depressed and downhearted about who you are not. You are loved. You just make a choice every day. You just make a choice to believe it. To believe it. We finish with, with this story. There's this lady called Margaret. Mark, Mike Iaconelli tells this story in his brilliant book, Messy Spirituality. And uh, this lady, when she was growing up in school, she was uh, in a primary school. And uh, her teacher hated her, didn't know why. And in one particular lesson, she answered a question and, and got the answer wrong. And, and her teacher got her to the front and said, and said, right, everyone just stand up and look at Margaret. And then what we're going to do, I want you all to come up and write something on the blackboard about how rubbish Margaret is. And so she watched this like eight-year-old girl as, as people came up. Margaret is stupid. Margaret is ugly. Margaret smells. And this, this moment in her life 
as you can imagine, it changed her life forever. She, years later, she comes to know Jesus, but she's still battling with these labels, these labels. And in her 50s, she finally decides that maybe to get some Christian counseling. And she's on this journey with a counselor, and it's kind of going well, and there's reflection and prayer. And, and it comes to what's going to be our final session. And the, the counselor says, okay, we're going to go back into that moment. We're going to replay that moment. And, and of course, she's like, I don't want to go there again. He says, come on, Margaret. And so she tells the story with her eyes closed. It's like yesterday. She can even smell the chalk. It's so real. And all those words written up, Margaret is sick. She's disgusting. And then she weeps and she said, that's it. The last child has written on the board. They sat down. Oh, is that it, Margaret? Yeah, that's it. No, 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 no. Look again. Jesus is in the classroom, Margaret. Jesus is in the classroom and he's coming right down the middle of the classroom and he's picking up a board wiper and he's rubbing all of those words off the blackboard. Can you see him, Margaret? And now he's picking up the chalkboard. Look at it, Margaret. And he's writing, Margaret is loved. Margaret is precious. Margaret is beautiful. Margaret is unique. Margaret is mine. Friends, Jesus came to rewrite the story of our life. As my friend says, he didn't come to rub it in, he came to rub it out. He came to rub it out, give you a brand new chance in life. And life, the life you've been created for, we've all got different ways of living it out in accordance with our gifts and talents and mix. We all do it in different ways. But at the end of the day, we're invited to love God completely for a life of obedience. Jesus, I know you love me, so whatever you're up to, count me in. We love others compassionately through a life of service. You can't help everyone, but you can help someone. Show me who, Lord. And the hardest thing for every one of us, I think it's the life's work of the Holy Spirit that you would know that you are loved. John, John says elsewhere in 1 John chapter 4, further down, he says, perfect love casts out fear. And so if you and I are battling with fear, and we all are, that means that there's more love to flood into our lives. And here's the truth as I, as I pray now. There's bad news and good news. Do you want the bad news first? Everything I've said today, you can't do. You can't do. That's the problem with the religious expert. What must I do to experience eternal life? Jesus said elsewhere, without me, you can do nothing. And so the answer is, friends, seriously, very simply, every day, we come before him. And maybe this is a prayer for us all to learn. Jesus, Father, thank you that you love me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to be like Jesus. Because Jesus loved God completely. He said in a garden, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus, you love people compassionately. Even when you were tired, you fed them. You healed them. Help me to be like Jesus. And Jesus, on the night that you washed your disciples' feet, John reminds us, you knew who you were. You're the beloved. And Father, you don't have two different types of love. You love me as much as you love Jesus. Holy Spirit, 
Help me to live out these truths. Help me to live out these truths. This is what I was born for. Thank you, Lord Jesus. If you found this podcast inspiring and helpful, then we'd love for you to get in touch via at LifeLanks on social media or our website, lifelanks.org. Life Church, impacting our neighbours, our nation, and the nations with the good news about Jesus.